until our feet touch the green grass of the new earth, until we see Jesus actually wipe away our tears, until we enter that world where everything just gets better and better and better, day after day after day, until then, we have to live in a fallen world where things happen that we don't understand, a world where we suffer, a world where we are wasting away. And right smack dab in the middle of that world, this world, we are called to trust. And trusting Jesus is hard. Let's just all admit that, okay? Let's just let the cat out of the bag today and let's admit, as we saw last week in 2 Corinthians 4, we often lose heart. It's easy to lose heart, isn't it? It's easy to get discouraged. Why is that? Because we often look at things from our perspective and because we don't always see what God is up to. And because the reality of our suffering is just right up in our faces, sometimes seemingly mocking us. And so I'm admitting this truth to you today. Trusting Jesus is hard for me. I'm admitting this truth to you today. It's easy for me to lose heart. It's easy for me to get discouraged. And trusting Jesus is hard because it requires us to trust God's promises more than our perceptions. We're called to trust God when we can't see, to trust Him when we have no idea what He is up to, when He doesn't answer our prayers right away. We're called to trust God as we walk into the unseen and the unknown. We're called to trust Jesus when He allows things to happen that we don't like and we can't see why He has allowed these things to happen. And so it's true, we walk by faith and not by sight, but if we're honest, walking by faith is not easy. Believing what we cannot see is hard. Trusting Jesus is hard. Of course, that doesn't mean that God is untrustworthy as if he can't be trusted. So please don't get that impression at all when I say that trusting Jesus is hard. God is trustworthy. God is faithful to his promises. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. The problem is with our hearts. The problem is with our eyes. And so the Christian life is one long journey in learning to trust what God says over what you see. And that's what we'll see in 2 Corinthians 4 today. So turn now to that passage in your Bibles. And that's discipleship, isn't it? Learning over and over and over again to trust what God says over what we see. It's learning to give the promises of God more weight in our lives than our own perceptions. And so you might as well get comfortable with this. Because Christian, this is how your life is going to be for the rest of your life. Time and time and time again, over and over and over again, as you raise kids, as you live check to check, as you suffer hardship, as you suffer sickness, as you scratch your head and you wonder what God is up to, as you have to wait upon the Lord 
for very long seasons in your life, you will be called to and you will have to relearn to trust what God says over what you see. So following Jesus means that we are called to believe his word over and over and over again, time after time after time, and not be moved by what we see or what we feel. And so this is the nature of life and ministry. You never know what God is going to do next or what he is going to ask you to do next. And you have to learn anew to trust him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, hear the word of the Lord. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Notice first here how Paul calls this light momentary affliction. He calls everything that we suffer in this world light momentary affliction. Have you ever suffered and it felt to you like something light and momentary? Probably not. Not me. Suffering from our perspective is often number one, heavy, and number two, eternal. It feels like it goes on forever and ever. It does not feel light. It does not feel momentary. Paul has used this word affliction a few times already in 2 Corinthians. We've seen that. This word affliction has both this inward and this outward idea. Outwardly, you see it with tribulations and trials and pressures and hardships and troubles and persecutions and sufferings. And then inwardly, it's all the distresses and the anxieties that plague us. And so it's this whole package of what we experience outwardly and what we experience inwardly, which is often where we really feel it when we suffer, right? There's a physical aspect and this inner aspect of affliction and suffering. There's this tangible and intangible effect. And so the Apostle Paul comes along and he has the audacity to call tribulations and trials and pressures and hardships and troubles and persecutions and distresses and anxieties as light and momentary. Maybe the Apostle Paul should have been put into concussion protocol after being beaten and stoned by rocks. But Paul is not writing 2 Corinthians with a concussion. He just has an eternal perspective. He knows through all that he has suffered that he has to keep his eyes on Jesus or he will lose it. Listen, if all you do is focus on the sufferings and all you do is focus on the hardships of this life, then you will not be able to label your suffering as light and momentary. It's only as you gaze upon the glory of Jesus that you get perspective. It's only as you get up on your tippy toes and gaze far into the future at the eternal weight of glory that awaits you that you get real perspective. So understand this. All that we suffer as believers is only for this lifetime. That's it. It might only last two days 
or two weeks or two months or two years or what you suffer might last your entire life, but it's only this life. Every person born into this world suffers because of Adam's sin. But there are some people who will suffer not just in this life, but also in eternity forever. That's why you and I must not lose heart in sharing our faith in Jesus. We have to keep telling people about Jesus. We have to keep sharing the gospel. Listen, keep praying for your friends and family that don't know Jesus. Because there are people who will experience an eternity of suffering after they have suffered like every single human being does in this world. And so those who don't trust in Jesus go from suffering to suffering. Bold, print, italicized, underlined suffering. In hell forever. So don't lose heart in sharing the gospel. Keep sharing. Keep praying. And keep praying for our missionaries. We have a section on our prayer list that's in your bulletin called Praying for Our Missionaries. Every week we pray for one of our missionaries. This week we're praying for Josh Freeman, who is helping to make disciples and plant churches in West Africa. So pray for Josh this week as he seeks to reach lost people in Togo, West Africa. But as believers, we only suffer in this lifetime. And then, guys, it's, it's glory. Then it's joy. And then it's eternal happiness. Just our joy increasing every day. It just gets better and better and better. It's like Christmas morning every day when you wake up. That's eternity on the new earth with Jesus. Every morning is like the joy of Christmas morning. But it just gets better. The, the Christmas morning the day before gets eclipsed by the next day because it just keeps getting better and better and better. And that's important to remember when you suffer in this life. There is a day coming when, as the Apostle John says in Revelation 21, it was our call to worship, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Listen, if you're suffering right now, you may need to write those words on a post-it note and put it on your bathroom mirror or put it on the, your refrigerator so you see it every time you go to eat or put it in the, your, the dashboard of your car or make it the screen lock on your phone. There is coming a day when Jesus will greet us with a box of Kleenex in his hand and he will wipe away every single tear. I mean, picture that. But notice that Paul also says here that what we suffer is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Well, what does that mean? Well, in some sense, I have no idea what that means, okay? (laughs) You're the expert. You're supposed to know. I don't know. There's a sense in which I do not know what that means. How what I suffer prepares me for this eternal weight of glory. 
I don't think anyone really knows what this means, and we probably won't really know what it means until we see Jesus. And then it'll click. Then it'll make sense. There's mystery here, right? There's a a lot of mystery. But as Harold Sinkbile said, you can't get your head around mystery. You must grasp it with your heart. We're not going to be able to get our head around what it means that our suffering prepares us for this eternal weight of glory. We're not going to be able to get our brain fully around that. We're going to have to learn to grasp it with our heart. But I'm going to take a stab at it, okay, what I think it means. What does it mean that our sufferings are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory? Number one, I think it means that suffering releases our grip on this world. When we suffer, we lose our grip on this world and we are prepared for eternity, for the next world, the new heavens and new earth. Have you ever suffered and you thought, I just want to go home and be with Jesus? I wish Jesus would come back by 4.30 today. Have you ever thought that? That's your suffering preparing you for your Savior. It's reminding you that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And that intensifies your desire to be with Jesus. Listen, God knows us. He knows how attached we are to the things of this world. He knows how addicted we are to comfort. And I'm not saying that we have to go without Or that we can never enjoy anything. God is not a cosmic killjoy. You've heard me say that a hundred times. I'm all about enjoying the things of this world in a Christ-centered way. So, hey, enjoy bacon. Enjoy brisket. Enjoy the beetles. Enjoy the beach. But there is a sense in which we can and we are often addicted to comfort and ease in this lifetime. And all you have to do is like get a flat tire or have your car break down or get behind someone in line at the grocery store who's taking way too long to check out and your heart gets exposed, right? Oh, I just want my way right now. I just want comfort, ease. So Paul reminds us in verse 18 that all of these things that we experience in this world are transient. Here today, gone tomorrow. We forget that we are pilgrims in this world, journeying on our way to the city that is to come. But in this life, if we're honest, we want it to be comfortable, pleasurable, easy, just just chill. But God is working through all of our hardships and sufferings in order to pry open our clenched fists and to loosen our hearts from the tight grip that we have on this present world. God is working to release us from the hope that this present world somehow can finally satisfy us and give us all that our hearts long for. And we know that's not true, right? We just sang Jesus is better. He's the only one that can satisfy. And so God uses suffering to produce in our hearts this deep ache and this intense longing for a much, much better home, our eternal home with Jesus. And that's why Paul says that it's not worth comparing. You can't compare it with Jesus. You can't even compare the good things in this life with eternity with Jesus, let alone the pain and the suffering. So if you take what you suffer in this life, as difficult and awful as it is, and you set it down next to what God has in store for you in eternity, there is just no comparison at all. 
There's no comparing what each of those things pull out of our hearts. The deep affections and feelings that suffering pulls out of our hearts in no way compares to the deep affections and feelings that we will have when we finally see Jesus. This life will just be like a blur. Like you wake up and you're like, I had this dream and I can't really remember, but I know I had this dream. That's what it's going to be like when we see Jesus. So you can't compare this world with the one to come. It's the Beatles compared to every single band that has ever been. There is just no other comparison. Nobody stacks up to the Beatles. It's Tom Brady compared to every other quarterback. No comparison. Listen, he is the GOAT, greatest of all time. I hate to admit that. But I've got to a point in my life where I can admit that now and not get worked up by it. And he's probably going to prove tonight at the Super Bowl that he is the GOAT. There's no comparing him with any other quarterback. At least right now, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I might not have said that two years ago. But I, I, I can say it now, okay? Without any bitterness. It's Ember Restaurant up in AG compared to In-N-Out. Listen, I love In-N-Out. But compared to Ember, Ember Restaurant, have you been there? There's no comparison. And there's no comparing anything in this world with the world that is to come. But because God is God, even our sufferings help prepare us for that next world for eternity. They release our grip on this world and cause us to long for Jesus John Piper says, any trouble from the smallest hiccup to the greatest horror. And he has this little tangent about hiccups. Listen, he says this, I've always worried about having hiccups before I preach. Isn't that something? It never happened. I was never kept out of the pulpit with hiccups. That was something he worried about. But from any trouble, from the smallest hiccup to the greatest horror, if we endure these in the path of obedience to Jesus, they have the potential for working for us an eternal weight of glory because the issue is, does it throw us on God as our help and our treasure and our joy? The girl that laughs at her pimple the night of the prom and sees it as a small thing compared to her belonging to the king of the universe... And the boy who springs back quickly after the high school football loss because his identity and his joy is in Jesus, they have both just experienced tiny afflictions that have produced big fruits of holiness. And that will be part of their reward. So we can't wrap our minds around it completely, and that's humbling. But in some sense, the affliction that we suffer is preparing us for eternity. From the pimple on prom night to losing the championship game, all of it in the wisdom and eternal purposes of God, all of it is preparing us for this eternal weight of glory. And so it releases our grip on this world, but then number two, what it means to prepare us for this eternal weight of glory, I think it reminds us that suffering is never wasted. 
The Greek word that Paul uses here for prepare is to produce, to prepare, to cause, to bring about. And that means that every millisecond of your pain and suffering in this life is producing for you a peculiar glory that you will get because of what you suffer. And let me say it again. Every millisecond of your pain and suffering in this life is producing a peculiar glory that you will get because of what you suffer. And that also means that what you suffer is not meaningless. And so it doesn't matter what form or shape it takes from cancer to criticism to cataracts to getting canned at your job. What Paul is saying here is that whatever you have suffered In this life, it is not meaningless. It is all conforming you to the image of Jesus. So there's a purpose in it. And so wrap your mind around this. Not one moment of patient pain is wasted. God has purposes for us, for what we endure, that we can only see with the eyes of faith right now. We can't see all of his purposes because we don't have the right kind of eyes. We can't see that far into the future. All that we can see with now are the eyes of faith. All that we can do is kind of get on our tippy toes and gaze into the future with faith eyes. But one day, we'll actually see. Faith will become sight. One day, we'll know. We'll understand why we suffered. We'll see the purposes that God had in mind. We aren't privy to all that information right now. We want to be though, right? We want to know why. Why did we suffer in that way? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why, why, why? Well, understand this, Grace. It's okay to ask God why. It's okay to ask God, why did this happen? The whys that we pray to God are good. The whys, why is this happening? Why aren't you doing something, Lord? Why don't you intervene? They are good prayers. They are good questions because they are an indicator that we still have faith in God. They're an indicator that we still trust God. Even when we don't understand what he's doing, we still trust him. Even when we don't understand why he is doing what he is doing. Unfortunately, many Christians get perplexed about God's ways and then they quit praying and they give up. And they get frustrated and angry and bitter and cynical. And instead of seeking God, they cut off all communication with him. Listen, when you ask God why, like the Psalms over and over again, when you complain to him about injustices, about why things are the way that they are, you are actually seeking him. It's faith. It's you putting your trust in him. And get this, we may not, in fact, we probably won't get all the whys answered in this life. We may not get answers in this life to all of the why God questions. We might, but my experience is that most of the God, why did that happen? Those questions won't be answered until we see Jesus. We might get a few glimpses in this life, but all the purposes of God await us. Christian author and counselor Larry Crabb gave these gospel-filled words to a young man who was suffering through the divorce of his parents. And Larry told him, the why is none of your concern. This is not your burden to fix or figure out. 
You are not responsible for your parents' relationship or their reputation or even your own reputation. Those are in God's hands, and His ways are His, not ours. When it comes to God's will, the sooner you can get out of the conjecture business, the better. If you don't go to your grave confused, you don't go to your grave trusting. Are you suffering today? Are you going through something that's keeping you up at night? Are you experiencing some light momentary affliction that you don't understand? If you could ask Jesus one question today and he would answer it, would your question be, why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Why did that happen? Why? Listen, you can pray why. That's good. But don't focus on the why. Focus on the where. Focus on the who. Where am I headed into an eternity, an eternal weight of glory? That kind of world is where I'm headed. And who will be there? Jesus. Don't obsess over the why. Ask God the why, but don't obsess there. Obsess over where you are going and who will be there. Pray the wise, but don't obsess over them. Listen, the sooner we get out of the conjecture business, the better. The sooner we stop seeking answers all of the time to all of the whys, the better. Because really, the why is none of our concern. It's not our burden. And if we don't go to the grave confused, then we don't go to the grave trusting. In fact, you can go to your grave confused and still trust what God says over what you see. And that's why Paul says we have to instead look to the unseen things. Look at verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What's the unseen that we're supposed to look at? Well, number one Duh, it's Jesus, right? It's being with Jesus. It's the new heavens and the new earth. That's the unseen that we're supposed to be gazing on. It's no more sin, no more suffering. It's no more devil. And it's seeing dinosaurs. That's right, you heard me. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are included in God's making everything new plan. Because obviously he created them, right? Randy Alcorn says, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, and me and Mr. Alcorn don't mind if you disagree with us and you're wrong, but he says this describing heaven. Imagine Jurassic Park with all of the awesome majesty of those huge creatures but none of their violence and hostility. Imagine riding a brontosaurus or flying on the back of a pterodactyl. Unless God made a mistake when he created them, and clearly he didn't, why wouldn't he include them when he makes everything new? So part of the unseen that awaits us, part of the eternal weight of glory that awaits us is dinosaurs riding on the back of a brontosaurus. (laughs) I'm going to be in line there. And as soon as that gets done, I'm going to fly on the back of a pterodactyl. And you thought heaven was going to be boring? No way. In fact, heaven is going to be so glorious, I think bacon will grow on trees. Okay, maybe I'm off on that, okay? But heaven will not be a bore because Jesus is not a cosmic killjoy. And so the eternal unseen that awaits us, that we should be looking at, 
Focusing on includes dinosaurs and swimming in the ocean with sharks and not getting eaten. It includes people from every nation, race, tribe, and tongue gathered around the Lamb on the throne and worshiping in unity. And probably not in English, by the way. That's hard to swallow as an American, isn't it? Probably not in English. It's all these people with all of their cultures represented. It's tribesmen with a spear in hand, wearing just a loincloth. It's these Victorian ladies with their big, puffy, flowing dresses. It's cowboys and Indians and samurai warriors. You name it, all the the people groups and cultures of the world around Jesus. We're not just going to be wearing white robes. How boring is that? All of the cultures that... God put into this world are going to be represented there as all these different people are worshiping the one lamb upon the throne. And I'm planning on hanging out with Johnny Cash and wearing black with him for all eternity. But best of all, we get to enjoy these things with Jesus. We get to be with Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for our sins. The one Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get to see him who died in our place. Listen, if you look at what is seen what you can actually see with your eyes, then your eyes will tell you that all the suffering in this world is meaningless, that there's no purpose in your suffering. And that's why we can't put stock in what we see, because our eyes will lie to us. Our eyes are not equipped to stare at light momentary affliction and perceive all the hidden purposes of God. Let me say that again. Our eyes are not equipped to look at and to examine all of our light momentary affliction and perceive inside of that all of the eternal hidden purposes of God. We can't do it. So we have to get out of the conjecture business and just trust. We must be very careful and cautious in trying to Assess all of God's purposes in our suffering. There will be times when you cannot see any redeeming reason for why you're suffering or why something happened. And if you try to figure it all out, it will drive you crazy. I've been there and done that. Many of you have too. You might just lose your mind obsessing over it. You have to trust that Jesus is doing things that you cannot see. And so Paul says, we look not to the things that are seen. That means when you lose your job or a loved one dies or you get that cancer diagnosis or you experience the betrayal of a close friend or your business has to close down, don't say that it's meaningless because it's not. In ways that we just can't see right now, all of these things are working for us and producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Let's look at verse 18 again. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There is an expiration date for everything in this world. Your house, your car, your computer, your hair, your milk. But what God is doing in your suffering, all the purposes that he has, those are eternal. 
Listen, when you suffer, you have to get on your tippy toes and peek over that suffering and with the eyes of faith, catch a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth. You have to get on your tippy toes and with the eyes of faith, peer over into eternity so that you will be reminded that Jesus is coming again to make all things new. You have to get on your tippy toes and with the eyes of faith, see Jesus with a box of Kleenex wiping away your tears. You have to get on your tippy toes and with the eyes of faith, see a world with no more cancer, no more drama, no more hospitals, no more vaccines, no more sin, no more guilt, no more shame. Because until Jesus returns, uncertainty will come knocking on your door when you follow him and you will suffer and your plans will fall through. Unforeseen circumstances will occur. They will barge into your life unannounced, uninvited, and they will captivate your heart. And it will be hard to sleep. It will be hard to eat. It will be hard to focus. And when these times come, we will be tempted to fear because our earthly security is being threatened. But here's the good news. We know this. God is in control, and he is with you as you face uncertainties. And so it's a fight of faith, believing what we cannot see. And believing what we cannot see is hard, but you are not alone, Christian. Jesus is with you wherever he calls you to and whatever he asks you to do, even when it feels hopeless or when you are uncertain about what will happen next. And so before we can ever begin to understand what God might be doing in our lives, our circumstances can look all wrong from our perspective. And that's why it's a fight of faith. And so the life of discipleship is really a a lot of trusting Jesus now, but understanding him later. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know that Jesus is not in the habit of revealing all the reasons why he is doing what he is doing. And if you don't come to grips with that, you'll live a bitter life. Following Jesus is really a lot about trusting Jesus now and understanding him later, namely in heaven. Christian life is not about trying to figure out what God is doing. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about not looking to the things that are seen, but looking to the things that are unseen. It's not about trying to make sense of things. It's about trust. And when God finally reveals what he's doing, either in this life or in the next, when he reveals what he was doing, we will actually discover that his purposes are far more glorious than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. And he'll show us what he was doing, and we'll be like, I can't believe I wanted you to change this situation, but look what you did. I wanted you to do this, and you didn't. And I thought I was right. Sorry, Jesus. But your way was clearly so much better. Man. And that's why our suffering can't be compared with eternal glory. So all the unplanned detours of our lives are actually planned by God, by a loving, caring Father. And that's why you can trust what God says over what you see. When you don't understand God's ways, trust His word. When you can't see His purposes, trust His promises. And when you come to this table that's before us today to eat and drink the Lord's Supper and you see the elements, the bread and the cup, trust anew that Jesus did everything 
needed everything necessary to bring you to God. Trust that he lived and died for your sin. Trust that he came back from the dead and ascended to heaven. And trust that he's coming again to wipe away every tear and to make all things new. The eyes of faith are just as involved as our mouths when we come to the Lord's Supper. You can't get your head completely wrapped around the mystery of how God's grace comes to us in the bread and the cup. You must embrace it with your heart and believe. Let's pray. Jesus, we we don't understand all of your ways. It's so humbling, Jesus. You do things, you allow things that just make us scratch our heads and we don't understand. But we want answers now. And sometimes you don't give us those answers. And some of those answers, most of them probably will have to wait for eternity. And we don't understand as we come to this table how the bread and the cup can impart your grace to weak, weary sinners who doubt and fear and worry and are confused. We don't fully understand it. We can't wrap our brains around it completely, but we embrace it with all of our heart because it's our hope, Jesus, what you've done for us. And so we come to this table and we repent, Lord. Forgive us of our sin. They are so many, Jesus. Would you wash us And cleanse us now. And as we eat and drink in a moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you empower us with your grace to love you and to love our neighbor. We ask these things in your name. Amen.